This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hello. Hey, how, how's it going over in the Trek Stars universe? Well, it's going fine over in the Trek Stars universe. Um, aside from the fact that, like, I was on Twitter the other day, and I saw a thing where uh, one, one of your friends was talking about how um, he's going to be down in Austin, Texas, uh, over, well, I guess Valentine's Day weekend or something thereabouts, and they happen to be showing uh, Boogie Nights at the Alamo Draft House down there. Yes. Uh, um, and 35mm, which is pretty much the best movie in the best format at the best venue you could possibly uh, see it at. So basically, I mean, like when I saw that, like, because this is the type of thing that happens with me, like my initial reaction was like, how can I get down there? And then, you know, after like <laughs> 30 seconds, I'm like, oh, no, I can't. Uh, well, uh, well, that's too bad. And, you know, I responded with something like, oh, my God, I'm so jealous. And then you chimed in and you're like, I wonder what I'll be doing while he's watching that movie, implying yeah. that you are going to be down in Austin, Texas when... Um, like the coolest cinema event <laughs> in history is going to be occurring and that you're not going to bother with it. No, no, I'm not. That is absolutely <laughs> cracking insane. I cannot deal with that. I just cannot well, deal with that. I'm sorry. We we made it 66 episodes and then our friendship was broken <laughs> because I, of... Boogie Nights. I just, I just don't understand. I really just don't understand. I really don't need to see it again. I, I think you really do need to see it's, it again. That's it's the whole not point. one of those. It's not like two thousand one where I'd give it another shot. You know, in seventy millimeter or something, where I think that the format will actually enhance my appreciation of the film. Okay, I don't see how thirty five millimeter is going to help me appreciate Boogie Nights. Okay, well, I disagree with that. For like a million reasons, but also that it is the type of movie that I think when you see it multiple times, you start picking up on things and you start putting together the pieces. When I first saw it, I was like, each individual scene is really good, but when you put it together, it doesn't really work. And then I listened to the commentary and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And then I watched it again and again and again and again. <laughs> So listen to the commentary, yeah. and then but, just 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 go from there. Yeah, but Boogie Nights is the movie where I can't say that you've recommended that I watch a movie because Jessica will then not want to watch it. Is it anything like Boogie Nights? And I'm like, yes, Inherent Vice is from the director of Boogie Nights. And she's just like, <laughs> I mean, is that my fault or her fault? You know? I'm, I'm not sure, but... Uh... Just, just do it. Just do it. Especially in that environment, like with an audience, 
you know, I, I think maybe you would find a greater appreciation for that movie. Maybe. And you need to tell me what it was like. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Star Trek. What's that? It's a thing that we talk about occasionally. I don't. I, don't, I really don't know why. <laughs> when we could be talking about boogie nights all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. This is not a boogie night orbit. It's boogie bad. orbit. It should be Dirk Diggler orbit <laughs> or whatever. I could do a Mark Wahlberg podcast. Yeah, I don't know if I could. <laughs> Although I did see the Gambler from Rupert Wyatt. Yeah. That movie's pretty cool. I I I want to want to like that movie. Did, did you see it? No. Oh. No, but I want it to be good. Oh, it is. Maybe I'll convince Jessica to see it and not tell her that you recommended it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started. Uh today we decided we would talk about movies, but the the Star Trek movies. Mm -hmm. Specifically uh the Star Trek movies that we're in control of the the original series ones and uh we want to uh discuss the relative villains of of said movies um how effective they were how necessary they were uh whether they were there at all yeah it's it's kind of interesting uh looking at uh the original series movies in particular because there was sort of a, a different philosophy at that point in time as to whether or not you actually needed a quote-unquote villain. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who, who are sort of critical of the movies today for saying, like, of course they need to have a villain because that's how movies are. Although I'd argue that that's how the original series was as well for the, mm -hmm. for the most part. It was kind of a weird time in the 80s where they said, like, maybe we don't need to do this. But... Uh, yeah, um, villains in Star Trek movies are weird. Yeah, especially considering how some of them aren't, most of them don't turn out to be villainous, really. Yeah, they're complex sometimes. They're very complex. Sometimes. Well, yeah, there, there's some straightforward ones. Uh, we'll start off with the motion picture, and the quote-unquote villain is V'ger. It's just a robot looking for its home. Yeah. It's creator. And I mean, I guess that's the thing about villains, right? Is uh, from their perspective, they're the hero, right? I mean, if it's a good villain, that's the way it's it's written, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it, that's that's you always hear the actors, you know, talk about that. And, I mean, even, um, you know, we'll get to it later on, but uh, Peter Weller talking about how he saw um, his character as uh, the the hero or a hero in Star Trek Into Darkness. But with the motion picture, you know, this is particularly true. And it, it's also kind of strange because uh, we don't really know the villain's intentions throughout most of it. We don't even know if it's trying to be villainous. We just uh, know that it's a threat. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I mean, what, what, what did you think about V'ger? Yeah, the the thing with Feature is that it's not. I I hate calling it a villain, and and some of these I, I do hate calling a villain. It it's more like the the mystery of the week than it is that. I mean, Feature does bad things, but I think that that a villain 
is someone who does those bad things like on purpose for for some goal when it's goal i mean it digitizes all these people and and ships and stuff but it's not it's doing it because that's its programming i guess that brings into debate the if you don't know you're doing bad things does that make you a bad person yeah i mean i think probably the more appropriate term for this thing would be antagonist okay but that doesn't really uh roll off the tongue as well does it Villain. No. Villain is the more uh, um, marquee. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So antagonist is is one of those. I mean, it's not like a five dollar word or something. It's just yeah. You you normally hear about movie villains, great movie villains, hundred and one movie villains according to AFI or something. Yeah. They don't call them antagonists. <laughs> yeah, the AFI top one hundred movie antagonists. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't quite work as well. But yeah, and, and once you, you do find out, you know, what V'ger is and what its programming is and why it's doing the things that it's doing, you um, actually have some sympathy for it and you feel bad. And um, even though it went through and killed a bunch of people, it wasn't trying to necessarily I mean, I guess it, it was trying to, but uh, it just thought that it was doing, you know, what it should be doing. And also, you know, it, it, it sort of brings something else which is interesting into play, which is the fact that humans were the ones who programmed it. And through various um, external circumstances, you know, when it came back, it was just trying to do what the humans sent it out to do in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it's it's hard to call Viger a villain, but it is it is definitely the the antagonist, the yeah, the the foil for the the hero I'm, of Captain Decker. Yeah. I mean Kirk. The I mean Spock. <laughs> Too many captains. Yep. The the other thing which is kind of interesting about uh Viger in relation to the other villains in Star Trek movies is that it's sort of the most um, non-human-like in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a, a, a robot or a ship which gained consciousness and it comes back as sort of um, a, a almost non-corporeal being and, and that sort of thing. It's not like you, you can't even necessarily point to like a person or a face aside from maybe Ilea, which is, you know, the the probe's face. But I mean, it's it's, you know, very out there in terms of the concept of of a being. Yeah. Probe Ilea doesn't really count as a no as a villain. It's just or even like like a like a henchman. Yeah. You know, it's just. This is just a, a consciousness that is curious about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think obviously the reason why they even did that was so that they could give a face and a voice to this being, you know, something that we could relate to and the characters could relate to in, you know, sort of an easy to understand way on the screen, you know. And it didn't help that she was attractive. Yeah, that too. It didn't. It didn't hurt that she was attractive. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the second movie is a bit more straightforward. 
uh, a second movie is called The Wrath of Khan, and it's about Khan wrathing. Yeah, and and I think that it's it's definitely to me the most clear cut villain. I mean, he's he's getting vengeance for for a perceived slight against him for being a villain. It's not like Kirk, you know, condemned him to that planet because you know Kirk was being a butthead. He's you know, he had every right to. He tried to kill kill the captain and take over the ship. But I mean, sure you could argue that, you know, his wife died and stuff, but his vengeance is overreaching, you know, torturing the the regular space station people for information on Genesis and now he's like gonna threaten the whole universe with this weapon just because Kirk, you know, made him mad. Yeah, um, you know, it's nice that with this one, unlike uh, I think all of the other ones, we have a backstory, you know, in that it's kind of a sequel to an episode of the original series, uh, and you can sort of build up why there is all this tension, um, or or you have it built up already so that you don't need to, to build it up throughout the course of the movie. And, you know, that, that helps, you know, and it also helps... I think more than anything to establish some sympathy for the character in a sense, because instead of needing to, you know, point out all the reasons why he's bad, you can kind of start with that and then point out some of the reasons why he's bad, you know, and by that I mean like (laughs) the first, first time through, you don't have to, you don't have to say like, "Oh, look, he did this, he did this, he did this." You can say, "Oh, well, maybe the reason why he's mad is because his wife died or or that sort of thing." And, you know, it makes it a more complex character. You know, I mean, he does have a point that Kirk said he was going to come back and check on him and he never did, and his wife ended up dying in the process along with a bunch of other people, I'm presuming. And uh, you know, what Kirk did to him by marooning him on the planet while maybe justified and maybe the only thing that Kirk could do, it could also be considered like cruel and unusual punishment, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he... And apparently the fact that he never told Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it it's obviously, I, I think like when you look at it in terms of what a villain does for a story, and how uh, Khan is sort of an integral part of the story and uh, really um, goes kind of head-to-head with Kirk throughout the movie. To me, this seems like a clear-cut case of the best villain in a Star Trek movie. Yeah, he he definitely makes the movie. Uh, sometimes the, the villain... Is, is just there to be the antagonist, the guy who's poking the story forward. But, like, Khan is this movie. Yeah. And with any other character or with any other actor, it, it, it would not work as a movie. Yeah, and it works so well that it sort of, like, crosses boundaries, and it makes the movie cross boundaries. Like, I, I really do think that um, the reason why so many, like, hardcore film people respond so well to Wrath of Khan is 
not because of all of the other stuff, but it's because of Khan, you know? I mean, like, there's this thing where, like, I mean, you, I think we've talked about this before, like, Quentin Tarantino and, and uh, Robert Rodriguez and all these guys consider it to be one of the best movies ever made. You know, in Kill Bill, it starts off with a quote from, well, it's attributed to Wrath of Khan. And, you know, it's the type of thing where, like, if you go, if you're looking for a Star Trek movie that's going to be playing it at, like, an art house, it's going to be Wrath of Khan, you know, yeah. and all this stuff. And lots of times when people refer to like revenge movies they'll throw wrath of khan in there whereas most revenge movies are things like kill bill for example which are told from the perspective of the person who is seeking revenge this mm -hmm. one's told from the perspective of the person who's having revenge uh sought on him is that how you how you say that i don't know uh sure okay. the the venge right and and that's pretty cool that they're able to pull that off because usually the people seeking revenge have a point because something bad was done to them so i think that that's that's pretty cool you know and uh yeah i mean i think a lot of that has to do with khan's character and, and how well he's portrayed mm -hmm. i agree completely Star Trek Three, the the title uh, "Search for Spock" uh, may make you think that Spock is the villain, but that's not true. Mm. <laughs> or Krug, I guess, is the villain. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the. This is one of the Star Trek movies to me where it takes me a while to remember who the villain is, because the rest of the plot, like he's just there, and you'll forget about him for great periods of the movie or at least i do you get so absorbed in the we found spock he's a child that kind of thing and then it's like oh yeah the klingons are here too and i don't know is he he is trying to preserve to make sure that this isn't a weapon and and no one's giving them information about genesis i i might argue that krug isn't really a villain i mean he does bad things but it's to gain I mean, is he trying to, I don't remember, is he trying to gain control of Genesis or just understand it? Well, I think both, you know. I think, I don't think that he's trying to understand it. What he's seeing is, you know, what the information is presented to, to him regarding uh, Genesis. He interprets that as saying that it's a, a weapon, even though all of the information, and these are like internal documents and everything, are saying, you know, it's not a weapon, it's designed as like a terraforming thing and he's like well they can use it as a weapon and also that's a great amount of power and i want it so his thing is kind of twofold like i don't want that to be in the federation's hands but also i want that power for myself mm -hmm. to use it as a weapon i think so i mean i don't really see him as being a hero you know i, I see him as being villainous yeah. especially when you see like the stuff that he does throughout. I mean, we're introduced to him be because he gets information from a lady who I think in the novelization is like his wife or girlfriend or something. Yeah, I think so. And because it's too dangerous to have that information out there, he blows up the ship that she's on. And 
then goes on his merry way, and he just sort of like continues doing that throughout the movie. He kills Savick and and all this stuff, and they kill what? I'm not Savick. He was going to kill Savick. Because right. David. Yeah, same difference. And <laughs> you know, um, and and that's a pretty villainous thing to do. You know. Yeah, I like I said, I I don't focus on him. Uh, the planet may be the villain, you know, the the Genesis planet and it falling apart and speeding things up. And maybe, I mean, I never thought about any of this stuff to listen to your guys' commentary on Star Trek three, but like it's, I don't agree that the movie is like anti-science like Max does, but maybe mankind's hubris is, is the enemy, you know, like, like, being you know using the proto matter in order to cheat uh maybe that's the 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 villain it's more the driving force than the klingon yeah i mean you could say that david is the villain i guess right ooh yeah but i think where the the weird part sort of comes in is that you know while the clear cut villain is krug that's the b plot essentially and the A plot is this this planet which is dying and, and you know, David, you know, is he a villain or not? I mean, he cheated, you know, and his, his cheating caused uh, lots of uh, death and destruction and everything like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, it was an accident, I guess. It, I mean, not really. It was just bad science i guess you know yeah it's not like he was trying to do this thing it's just something that happened because he was being careless yeah he accepted the risks yeah and uh maybe he shouldn't have or, or maybe it wasn't his place to but but yeah i mean it's the the driving force behind this movie is the search for spock and you've got the ticking clock of the planet and all this stuff and and Krug is just sort of another element to all of that. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things which, you know, we'll talk about later on as well. But lots of times people criticize movies, not just Star Trek movies, although they do do this with Star Trek movies too. And they say, like, the villain is really weak. Like, that that movie, I don't like that movie. The villain was so weak. You know, that that happened with, like, Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. And I'm just like, the villain, who was the villain? Because to me, it yeah. almost doesn't matter. You know, the the thing that's important in this particular story is the voyage of the the Enterprise and, you know, their mission to get Spock back and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And the villain is just kind of like an element, but it's no more of an element than, you know, this ticking clock. I mean, you can say like, well, I don't like the movie because the way that they had Genesis, you know, being destroyed was stupid. And I mean, that's a legitimate criticism for this particular movie, but you never hear, you know, people really say that so much as, you know, like, it's almost like, you know, people feel like if the villain's not good, then the movie's not good. When in reality, the villain is oftentimes just a small part of something which is used to drive a story forward, which is almost necessary in order to, you know, have the other stuff in it, you know, but the mm-hmm. other stuff is the important stuff. And that's kind of the case here, I think. Yeah. I think that the movie would be uh, 
would be just as effective without Krug. Yeah. Then, I mean, sure, maybe they wouldn't have tried to, you know, wouldn't have had to blow up the Enterprise to to trick the Klingons, but I'm sure that that, that could have happened even without Krug being there. Well, it certainly wouldn't be nearly as dramatic. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you've got the whole thing where once they get to the planet, you know, they're dealing with the fact that there's another ship in the area and, you know, the science ship has been destroyed or whatever, or, I mean, yeah, it's been destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're they're trying to deal with all of these things. And, and, I mean, that that adds, like, a lot of tension, you know, even when they're down on the planet and everything. And since this is sort of like an adventure action movie, you know, I think that, that all of that is necessary. Otherwise, um, there would be, like, no conflict aside from the ticking clock for, like, the last hour or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. All right. So Krug, he's he's all right. <laughs> now Star Trek Four. This is where we get really weird, because the villain is a probe, yeah, of unknown origin, that's trying. Well, that is destroying Earth, but it doesn't seem to be doing it on purpose. Yeah. So so really the and then once we go back in time to get the whales. The villain becomes primitive humans. Yeah. So we've got the the military and doctors and people who won't give us transparent aluminum. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this probably more than any other movie is the the one that does not have a villain, because um, even like it was very similar to Viger, but yeah. uh, you know, I mean, here you've got you know this probe which is coming to Earth. It's trying to communicate with, you know, the whales, which is why the, the oceans are evaporating and causing havoc in the uh, ecosystem, which is really weird. I don't see how that works. And, you know, it seems like they'd be messing things up for the whales if they were there. Yeah. Evaporating the Earth's oceans yeah. seems uh, like you've got your, your communicator on too high. Yeah, exactly. And it's like... You know, I don't think that the probe was sitting there saying like, um, oh, you killed you killed the whales. We're going to blow up this planet now. You know, that's not what its intention was. It was right. just looking for the whales. But the whole time, I mean, obviously they don't know what, what the probe was saying either. But the whole time the implication is like they just wanted to check up on them and make sure they were okay. And yeah, it's that's like, the impression I've always gotten. But if they're not okay, we're going to like do some massive damage to their ecosystem in the process of checking on them. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but no. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, it, it is the, the driving force. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it the antagonist. No, not really. There isn't really an antagonist so much. I mean, there's like not a big one, but there's like little moments from scene to scene and it's usually, you know, stuff where, I mean, n- none of these people can be considered villains. They're just doing what you would do in these situations. Because, yeah. I mean, if anything, like uh, the, the crew of the Enterprise or the whatever, the, the, the bounty, are um, the, oh. the ones who are doing the wrong things. Yeah, they are running around stealing a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
helicopters and yeah. and I mean the only thing that they don't steal is glass to build a right but even then in order to get the glass they give a guy um a formula to build a technology which doesn't exist yet are we saying that the enterprise crew may be the villains in this movie or at least the most villainous yeah i mean i think that's definitely the case you know they're anti-heroes in this movie yeah from you know a 20th century perspective at least you know, once you get to the 23rd century, they become the biggest heroes because they save the world, you know? As usual. And and surely if the 20th century people knew what their intentions were, they would let them do their thing, but there's no way they're not going to believe, believe them. them. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way it works. I mean, even even at the beginning of the movie... The reason why they're going back to Earth is to be put on trial because they did a bunch of bad stuff in the last movie, too. Right. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I did not expect this. But, you know, with Star Trek IV being the sort of whimsical, you know, comedy uh, installment of the um, Star Trek movie franchise... It makes sense that there isn't really a hardcore villain in this. It's just sort of a plot device to get them to go back to the 20th century and talk about how the real villain is us because we're oh, destroying our world. Yeah. Primitive humans, which is what I had down as the, the possible villain. Yeah. And I was just thinking of it because they were trying to stop the crew. But yeah, we are the villain because we hunted the humpback whale to extinction which is illogical yeah and then if if we hadn't done that then the pro would have just shown up and been like hey guys all right we'll talk to you later yeah but then the probe still would have like knocked out everybody on its way oh i mean so what so they they have some interference in their little uh um ships you know i mean what well i guess they did say they were like losing life support or something right yeah i think so but I'm sure they gained it back, right? Yeah, maybe maybe like there's an effective range when you get too close to it, but then when it leaves, you power back up. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, they didn't really... I mean, I don't know how many people died because of the probe. I mean, surely some people died, right? Oh, yeah. The Earth's oceans were evaporating. I'm sure that some people were on, like, cruises or something. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Especially if there's no money. I mean, why not just cruise all the time? Because, well, I mean... And you can replicate whatever you want food-wise, so. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess they, I don't know. They didn't have replicators back then. Well, sure they did. They weren't like replicators like our replicators. By that I mean 24th century replicators. But they had the little <laughs> uh, floppy disks, which, you know, they stuck into the thing and generated turkey dinners or whatever. Coffee. Yeah. The little cards. Little, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you, you were kind of limited in your options, but... Well, we'll cover the other half of the original series villains in next week's episode. Yeah. Well, it was fun talking about the possible villains of Star Trek today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit... Because it's it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. 
Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. Is so, it birthday? It is. It is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey! That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, see then... ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At this enough. point, like they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would, I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well thought out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing, if that makes yeah. sense. Axonar, the official podcast. I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because the Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action, adventure, road race movies are really about a family the 602 club that's really cool though i mean i i think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie is is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out these shows and get in on the daily trek talk you find them on itunes stitcher spreaker soundcloud or you can stream from the website just visit trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links all right we got a message from christopher in Tarpon Springs, Florida, which he notes is the little town which is destroyed in Star Trek Enterprise, that was a banner day. Mm. I'm not sure what he means by that. It will be a banner day. <laughs> uh, says, Hello, Drew and Mike. I'm a new fan of Trek FM and especially Standard Orbit. I am, however, an old fan of the Star Trek universe. Also, I am disabled, both physically and visually. Have you ever thought of joining with Earl Grey and discussing episodes which focused, at least in part, on disabled characters and storylines? Characters might include Christopher Pike, Geordi LaForge, or Worf when he had his own pity party after being paralyzed. <laughs> Some Klingon warrior. Anyways, this is just an idea. Also, does anyone remember the original series movies on VHS that formed a picture of the Enterprise and all six movies were collected and placed in order? That was probably a gimmick, but I thought it was pretty nifty. You guys are awesome, and each of your episodes helped me to forget my challenges. Your new fan, Christopher. Well, thanks, Christopher. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that we can bring some joy to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where, like, lots of times we're recording this stuff, and, you know, I mean, the cynical me, I always think, like, no one's listening. No one's listening to us at all. <laughs> you know, why Why are we even doing this? It's just, we're just, uh, you know, entertaining ourselves. But, uh, you know, when you hear stuff like this, you know, that uh, really makes me happy. Um, yeah, in terms of, like, doing an episode on, you know, that that topic, I, I've never really thought about it. Have you? I have not. But uh, there there is some discussion behind the scenes of having theme weeks, yeah, uh, where each one of our shows covers something like that, and I'll, I'll bring up disabilities, yeah, to to the group because we've got, uh, we've got Pike, we've got uh, the the lady in Is There in Truth No Beauty mm -hmm. or in Beauty No Truth or whichever episode that is. There, there's a lot of it. We could we could probably make an episode of that. Yeah, it seems like uh, and or I'm sorry. Next Generation really does deal with it the most. You know, Deep Space mm -hmm. Nine touches on it a little bit, too. Um, but 
yeah, yeah. It seems like next generation is really sort of the the one where they they tackle those issues um, more than any other show. Yeah, but yeah, and I never owned the VHS set, but my friends did. Yeah, I had it. I had all those. Um, I I, had, I bought them individually. Uh, they came out um, when Star Trek Five. I don't know if it was when Star Trek Five was released, or I don't know if it was released when they were promoting Star Trek Six. I think maybe it was for the twenty fifth anniversary. So when you had the first five movies, they formed the picture, and then when you bought the sixth movie, which came out a few months later. It extended the picture into nothing. Yeah, the the starburst thing. That's what I thought was really clever about it is that they obviously made it with the first five movies in mind, but then the sixth movie is there, and they didn't just like abandon the concept. They were like, okay, here's a little bit more of the side of the picture, kind of like nothing. the Friends in HD that I'm watching. The picture doesn't, <laughs> the extra picture on the side doesn't really add anything to it. There's just more empty space. Yeah, yeah. And for the uh, laser discs, that that was the cover which was used uh, for the widescreen uh, versions. Um, but with the laser disc, instead of having it all make a picture, since the spines were you know super <laughs> duper thin, they just took that like big image and sort of put it behind the the picture on um, for for the for the actual movie. So oh, okay. so the the each of the laser disc. Uh, jackets is is exactly the same in terms okay. of that that design but it's a good picture i like it yeah it was cool yeah well if you'd like to contact us and share your thoughts on today's show or any of the shows you can go to trek.fm slash contact there's a form there choose to send a show and choose standard orbit that'll come to both of us by email you can also use the tab on the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone and you can talk to us and our other listeners at our facebook group the babel conference in social media, you'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Uh, you can find me right here on trek.fm doing commentary Trek Stars with uh, Max and John. And you can also find me on commentary trackstars.com doing commentary Track Stars off topic with Max and Brandon. And you can find me on Twitter at mumbles3k. And you, you just celebrated your 500th episode of Commentary. Commentary Track Stars Productions, uh, I guess, is, is how the best way to, to phrase it is. You know, like, if you take the four shows that we've done, you know, from sort of a production standpoint, not necessarily um, that we've always been on or anything like that, but the ones that we've, you know, started up on our own and then produced... Uh, all the way through, we just hit our 500th episode. We did a, a thing where we tried to include a little bit of everything, including commentary Trek stars, uh, by discussing um, Justin Lin's work on Community and providing a commentary for one of his episodes. So uh, go over to commentarytrackstars.com and check it out. There's a Back to the Future 2 commentary on there as well. It's very good. Oh. I listened to the Back to the Future commentary already. Thanks. No problem. You can find me on Twitter at 005-D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E and on like five or six of those uh, those commentary track star episodes. Yeah. One one hundredth, probably. <laughs> but not on uh, Boogie Nights. Not on that one. Nope. Maybe we can do a commentary 
where you explain why the why the movies should be good. I would love to do that. <laughs> Anytime. Just let me know. Uh, at this time, we'd like to thank Richard Rutledge Jr. for being our associate producer this month. You can find him on Twitter at RUT8972. And we really appreciate him supporting us on Patreon. Yeah. I was like, what? Someone likes us enough to uh, produce us? That's crazy. Thank you yeah, very I much. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And then I told my wife, and she's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much, Richard. We really appreciate it. We really do. Yeah. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of those famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? Well, I have uh, Star Trek The Eugenics Wars, The Rise and Fall of Khan, Nooney, and Singh. Uh, which is, you know, as we discussed, you know, probably the best of the Star Trek movie villains. It is written by Greg Cox. It's narrated by Anthony Stewart Head. It's the guy from Buffy, right? Yeah. All right. It's three hours <laughs> long. And they say here on Audible.com, even centuries later, the final decades of the 20th century are still regarded as one of the darkest and most perilous chapters in the history of humanity. Now, as an ancient and forbidden technology tempts mankind once more, Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise must probe deep into the secrets of the past to discover the true origins of the dreaded eugenics wars and of perhaps the greatest foe he has ever faced. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's another way you can keep us in orbit, and that's by supporting us on Patreon like Richard. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer in our shows. you find out where the donations can go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. That was the, the first part of the villains of the movies, so join us next week where we conclude our discussion. <laughs> so everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead. Warp factor one. Hi, sir.